Hello, and welcome back to Rehydrate. This season, we'll be reading and discussing Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. This is Season 6, Episode 4, The General, covering Part 1 of the second book of the trilogy, Foundation and Empire. The hosts have varying levels of knowledge on this book and this series, and my name is Dan, and I'm only read up to this point. My name is Talia. I've also only read up to this point. However, as you may have noticed, our listening schedule is a bit wonky this week, so I ended up rereading the general, so I might have more knowledge on this than any of the Asimov so far. My name is Priya, and I have only read the Foundation series up to this point so far. And this for this book, I'm actually doing something a little different, and I'm listening to it on Audible instead of reading it. So it'll be interesting to see how the experience is a little different. We're not sponsored, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, you could try to use the code Rehydrate, but it probably won't work. (laughs) Talking a little bit about the schedule. So it has been a long while since we recorded last time. Um, That's just, you know, holiday scheduling and and life scheduling got in the way. So we're back. We're we're staying on, you know, this this series. We're going to continue on it. As it stands right now, it's the holidays in the U.S. So schedules might get a little bit more mixed around. Um, So apologize for not every two weeks, but... We're, you know, we're trying our best around, you know, three people's schedules with work and <laughs> home life and all that kind of stuff. So please bear with us. Dan's just reminding me, I spent the um, the holiday season in Canada and I ended up having to cross the U.S.-Canada border. And I had to explain to the border patrol about, you know, the duration of my visit and why I was there. And I was saying, yeah, I've only been here since Thanksgiving. And they squinted at me and I realized, oh, my gosh. <laughs> For them, Thanksgiving, they were like, you've been here for a month and a half? I was like, no, I've been here for two days. Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> Can't speak about Thanksgiving and Canada and expect it not to, uh, yeah, not to raise the eyebrows. So bear with us. If we have international listeners, we're all based in America. Okay. Well, I first wanted to give a little bit of history on this chapter. I put together, I, when I read it, I was really interested in this kind of feeling about this chapter. I really liked it. And you know, we'll talk more about that as we get into it. But I want to kind of research more uh, about like how it came to be. Originally, The General was first published in April of 1945 in an issue of Astounding Science Fiction under the title The Dead Hand. Uh, and we see that The Dead Hand, you know, come up a lot. Um, so it's interesting that it got renamed to The General later. And also, the this whole story is based off of like real life events um, from back in Roman history, it's basically like a rehashing of the story of uh, Belisarius and Justinian from basically the, the Byzantine era of the Roman Empire. And if you're interested in that, I put up an interview a couple of weeks ago with my friend Jason, who's like a mm-hmm. big time Roman history buff. And he gave a lot of like cool back backstory and back history of like the actual um, history between uh, Justinian and Belisarius. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and uh, I would you know recommend you go ahead and listen to that. He also hasn't listened to Foundation, so it's automatically spoiler-free. If that's something right. you're avoiding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I think they had a couple spoilers in there, but it was only up to this point of the, the show anyway. So spoiler-free up to, up to this point. All right, well, let's jump into the summary for this episode. So we start out with Belrios, a general in the Imperial Army, who meets Dukumbar, son of Omenbar, on Suyana. Uh, Rios is looking for more information on the, the quote-unquote magicians, of which Barr studied for decades since Hober Mallow visited his father, and tells Rios that there are no magicians, only Harry Selden's psychohistory, which predicts the fall of the Empire. After returning from the Foundation, Rios tells Barr and intends to challenge the dead hand of psychohistory by starting a war to conquer the Foundation. 
On Trantor, Brodrig meets with Emperor Cleon, who are both concerned with Rios's request for reinforcements in his conquest. Cleon sends Brodrig to observe. The war against the Foundation is started, and Rios has already made great strides using the strategy of an enclosing sphere, but Barr is still convinced of the inevitability of the fall of the Empire as predicted by Selden. After the start of Rios's war, he captures a Foundation traitor named Lathan Devers, who he holds captive along with Barr for information about the Foundation. Devers insists that psychohistory is just a story that no one really believes. Broderick arrives on Suyana and questions Barr and Devers. Beforehand, Devers has devised a plan to bribe Broderick and pit him against Rios. However, it's ultimately Devers who's bribed with 100,000 credits for information about why Rios might want to conquer the Foundation. Devers tells him it's because Rios wants to capture the secrets of transmutation. Later, Rios becomes impatient with Barr and Devers, thinking that they're withholding information from him, but Barr catches him unaware and hits him with a bust of Cleon II, and they make their escape to Devers' ship. During the escape, Barr takes a message intended for Rios, which includes the line, the ultimate ends in view will surely be gained. They believe that if this, they can give this message to the Emperor, then it can be proof that Rios and Brodrig are planning to overthrow him, so they make plans to go to Trantor. Their plan is ultimately unsuccessful, as they try to bribe contacts who will get them an audience with Cleon, but run into an undercover agent, which they are forced to kill and to escape Trantor with only their lives. They are able to escape, but when they think that their plan has failed, they read the news that Rios and Brodrig have been recalled and arrested. Back at the Foundation, they realize it was the natural forces that were predicted by psychohistory rather than their actions. The Empire's ability for conquest has been eliminated since weak generals are ineffectual and strong generals will be suspected by emperors. And so, once again, the dead hand of Harry Selden allows the inevitability of the fall of the Empire. The only remaining threat is the possibility of the Second Foundation. So the characters in this section, the general, are as follows. Belrius, the last of the Imperials, a general in the Imperial Army, Dukembar, son of Onambar, Senate Forel, leader of the Merchant Princes, possibly Hober Mallow's illegitimate son, Cleon II, the Emperor of the Galactic Empire, Amal Brodrig, a secretary to Cleon II, Latham Devers, the Foundation traitor, captured by Bel Rios, and Sergeant Mori Luke, serves under Rios, guards bar endeavors. Okay, well, maybe we should start with general thoughts around this. The kind of change, I, I see this as a kind of a big change between the first book, just the kind of mm. bigger narrative that's like more consistent. And it also pulls in a lot of characters that we heard about before. You know, we have like connections to Mallow, we have, um, you know, the connections to Barr, a lot of, you know, the kind of like through lines between uh, the last book and this one, where the last book seemed to be a lot more segmented, you know, like there are in kind of individual chapters that didn't really have anything to do with each other other than the kind of overarching uh, theme of Harry Selden and psychohistory, right? Um, but I saw this one is a lot more consistent and um, just, yeah, just better storytelling, I thought. So what did you guys think? It's definitely aided by having a shorter time period. Like we can have people who are the sons of people we know, like one generation, we don't have these somewhat awkward, like 100-year skips. Um, mm. And I, I did agree that it felt more lively and easier to follow, and not just because I felt like we had time to settle into a story and actually predict and anticipate some of the beats. And I don't mean that in a bad way. So I was like, oh, you know, 
we spoke about bribery on this planet. We'll probably see that in action. We get a little taste of bureaucracy. We see how that intersects with crime and it all is coherent and a little bit contained. So I found it lively and yeah, I have some more thoughts we can get into. Yeah. Tell us what you thought, Bria, since I know you had, (laughs) you were the contrarian uh, last time we wrapped up our foundation impressions. I may at times still be a contrarian, but um, (laughs) I I do agree that this um, part read a lot more easily because um, you have a, a list of characters that's kind of spanning the course of what reads kind of like a almost like a standalone story, like a short story, like an installment, which is kind of how it was written. So, and the plot feels a lot more linear in this case. So that was, that made it a little easier for me to consume. I think it's also interesting how the kind of expectations are subverted, you know, like you kind of get the sense as the story is going along that, oh, they are going to be with the emperor and the emperor, you know, they're going to, they're, they're going to, um, you know, trick him into or you know at least convince him that that rios is like actually a bad guy but actually they don't do anything <laughs> then the you know that ends up just like oh harry seldom was right the whole time like it's just gonna happen naturally and they don't really need to do anything and that's sort of the kind of the overall theme of this, this these books so far is that like inaction is like the way to go right you just kind of like sit back and, and watch it happen you don't need to you don't need to do anything it's just gonna the empire is gonna fall on its own yeah, it just it gives the sense that like anything you do is really just a waste of energy on your part. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of like a depressing thought to me that like like because it seems like a lot of energy is being expended by these characters, but then it, it in the end it's like oh you need not have done any of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean like they yeah they 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 knocked uh, Rios on the head. They like killed the the Sergeant Luck there, who's kind of sad. That guy was kind of <laughs> kind of pretty funny. Uh, they killed the other agent, you know, they, you know, they escaped, they had this whole, like, whole thing to like <laughs> escape from the, you know, the, the empire. And it was like, well, eh, we didn't really need to do all that stuff. <laughs> what happened anyway? I was waiting in the wings to bring up my impression on this and I couldn't imagine segue, but here comes the Chinese history aspect. This whole section just reminded me a lot of like classical Taoism or Taoism, depending on how you pronou- pronounce it. And their whole guiding philosophy of Wu Wei, which is like without effort. And it's this whole philosophy of like, it's not laziness, but everything is done without effort. And even if you're like carving a pig and like, you know, if you're slashing it, you're doing it completely wrong. But if you're just carving it so perfectly, like there's nothing for the knife to even push. It just slides through. And that's Mm. like a metaphor for just like, that's the way it was always supposed to be. And that's the way that you can achieve these ends, but not take action. It's more dense than that. But I was just sort of nodding along, like, definitely, <laughs> this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and there's just like a lot of quotes that I, I kind of picked up around just kind of the the lack of free will and it's like the inev- inevitability of psychohistory. It does conjure up those problems. Anytime you have a situation where action and inaction yield the same results, hmm. that's sort of troubling for human will and free will and our considerations of ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Because like we want to feel like we're in control of situations, right? And the only way for us to control the situations is by taking action. Mm-hmm. But it feels really uncomfortable if you know something's going to happen and like, maybe that's why people are so skeptical of psychohistory in the first place, because like it's hard for us to accept as humans that like, we can't have any 
influence on future events, right? Like where things are just like predetermined, right? The history or the future is predetermined. There's nothing you can do. You're just kind of on that path. I think it's just called predeterminism. I think that's really uncomfortable for humans. And that's you know, maybe why like Seldom was uh, seen in the beginning as like a raven, right? Like he's you know, like, oh, this guy is like saying like, can't really do anything to impact mm. the fall of mm. something like the empire, right? Like we all love the empire. So like, what can we do to save it? Like, well, nothing. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to mm-hmm. fall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So some of the quotes that I, I picked up, um, I thought were interesting was the first one is uh, because of the dead hand of mathematics of human behavior that can neither be stopped, swerved nor delayed. The two faced each other in deadlock until the general had stepped back. He said simply, I'll take that challenge. It's a dead hand against a living will. So Rios is like fighting against the the idea that he can't do anything, right? He's saying like, I can impact history, but we, we can see that he can't because Selden, you know, way back when, when he did his predictions, knew the difference between like having a strong general and a weak general versus a strong emperor and a weak emperor. Like they can't, they can't, get to a point where they can exist one or the other. Cause we can see that the mm. emperor got suspicious of, of Rios on his own because he had seen like this line of emperors before him get killed or, you know, otherwise de- dethroned. And, you know, he's going to kind of react against that. Right. And, and talking to Jason about the the Roman history, that seems to be uh, like a real theme in, in Roman history as well. Like you'd have like all like these people who are going after the, the, the Roman uh, emperorship. Right. So yeah, this is kind of mirroring that. And so Rios is trying to fight against it, but it's not going to be successful. I didn't have this association when I was reading, but to hear you describe the weak and the strong generals having the same outcome, did it remind you at all about the chains of suspicion in the dark forest in that it doesn't mm. matter really if they're, malevolent or benevolent that's because true it just yeah because it's the same yeah yeah you, you won't know like yeah the whole part of the chains of suspicion is that like even if they say they're 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 not they're, they're benevolent you don't know that they're or even the if truth, they are right? no right. it's like it's worse than if they're lying it's like if they're perfectly honest if they actually are benevolent you just can't know they'll never be able to know right even right. if they truly are <laughs> Right. And who knows if they will be eventually, right? Like, you know, maybe a problem, like humans right now are maybe benevolent in the, the, the world. of Mostly and, harmless. <laughs> right. But like, because of our exponential growth in technology, right? Like in whatever many years, like we're going to be a problem. So, yeah. It just yeah, reminded me of like, comes back to inevitability again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the, yeah, I think inevitability is a, a big theme of remember, remembrance of Earth past as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good, good point. Uh, Priya, I saw you. I I just saw the chat that you dropped off. Uh, no, no, I'm back. Okay. Um, yeah, I was listening the whole time. Uh, so this also kind of reminds me of um this short story that I sometimes bring up, which is called the Cold Equations. Oh yeah, and that is also there is a sort of like inevitability because when you're out in space and when you're you're talking about like the grand scheme of things like personal intentions and actions don't really matter what matters in the end is like the inevitability of of how the math is going to sort of just work against you <laughs> without giving any spoilers about the story itself it's a very sad and depressing story as evidenced by the title yeah, it kind of reminds me of that too. So like I would recommend giving that a read. It's not very long. 
Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good uh good analogy. Dan had read it. Yeah, yeah I read it because because you you had you had mentioned it before, and yeah, it's really yeah. it's. I mean, I think we can say it's you know it's a story that's just as old as Foundation, so uh, we can put spoiler tags in here if you don't want to read it. If you don't, if you're not going to read it, or you don't want to hear spoilers for it, you can jump ahead to the next section. But yeah, it's just a really depressing story, and and it all has to do with mm-hmm. math, right? Like and just like the 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 realities of space travel and like how much energy you have and like if you don't if you don't conserve enough energy then you won't be able to land on the planet right you'll just like skip mm-hmm. past it then you'll also die so you know he ends up having to kill like this little girl <laughs> just because like there's nothing you can do like this is like mm-hmm. you know you're either gonna kill this girl or you're gonna like not get the vaccine to the whole planet of people um mm-hmm. and so it sort of leads itself into psychohistory too psychohistory is all based off mathematics and like um trying to not mitigate the what is it 10,000 years of of chaos for just a thousand years that's um, right yeah they have their own little trolley problem built in yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i think that's um one thing you might not know if you're a listener uh but one of the great things about dan is like if you recommend something to him he usually like does the thing he usually <laughs> listens to it or reads it or does some research on it so Try. it didn't surprise me that yeah that you picked up the cold equations when you first brought it up, Priya, I was just thinking about that, like the opening lines in a Bill Bryson book. I can't remember quite which one, but it states like, you know, the best thing to know about space is that it's aptly named. Mm. There's just like so much of it. Like you can't really have these space fantasy stories because they all take place in such a small survivable amount of it. And if you actually do the math, it's inevitable. It's crushing. Yeah. And it also reminds me of this quote from um, the Remembrance of Earth's Past series where uh, I don't remember which character says it, but it's one of the characters who's on, I think it might've been Guan Yifan or one mm. of the characters on this, uh, the ships that says um, it takes like five minutes of being out in the vast expanse of space for people to start losing their humanity. And um, I keep thinking about how in foundation we are so far removed from that tether to the earth where humanity originated that like you're no longer dealing with and talking about the same humans. I know that they are characterized the same way as we know humans to be, but there is something fundamentally different and changed about them because they're not the humans that we know of that, you know, like the origin story of humans is on earth. And now these humans and in, uh, in, in these stories are so many like thousands, millions of years past that. So it's interesting to keep that in mind too. Yeah, definitely. I want to do a little bit of a turn in the other direction for this section of foundation, because I thought it did actually have some humor. It wasn't all just like bleak and dark and one of the ways I saw that was actually in characterization I know like in an Asimov novel (laughs) who knew Uh, I found it in Emperor Cleon or Cleon II I found him an interesting and amusing character to watch he's presented as like sickly and he sees that as just so much more of a nuisance than like you know an agony (laughs) he's uh very dismissive he's got all these busybody doctors who are hurrying around him and trying to cure him with these new methods and with these ancient texts and he even remarks like you know if these secrets in the ancient texts were real like the ancients themselves could just give it to me because it would have saved them (laughs) and (laughs) it won't so it won't save me 
mortality wins again. And I thought like, there's just humor in that. There's humor in them going to this planet and having to like sign things in triplicate and bribe people to get through. It's like, you know, navigating through Egypt. Like it's very practical and uh, comedic in that way. And I think that's what kept me clipping through this in a way that I hadn't read the first book. Yeah, I think like the relationship between Barr and um, Endeavors, I thought was also really good. You know, like mm-hmm. the kind of like the buddy, buddy, uh, buddy, buddy, adventure. buddy, buddy adventure between, you know, because <laughs> like they have like their little secret meeting and like the when they're in their captivity, like they uh, they kind of devise their plan. And like after a oh, while, right. like, yeah, but they also the, talk about like, hey, this plan is not so good. Like there's a little right. self-awareness and then there's like. You know, these things that we capture are so janky. If this came from the foundation, it could be so much better. So there's, yeah, yeah. I feel like with the right actors and the right casting, that could just be stretched out even more. Yeah, and then they get the message and the message is like useless. It seems like when they first get it, like, oh, we did all that stuff for this stupid message. (laughs) I know, (laughs) just like life. (laughs) Right. And then they realize like, well, maybe we can just the, this little part. And then like, yeah, they, and then they realize that they always use those anyway. I'm like, well, all right, I guess. A lot of effort, not worth it. Moral of right. the story. <laughs> I'd like to be a, a, a Debbie Downer in this moment and um, just state the obvious that we were talking about in the last, um, last episode probably, um, which is that yet again, we have no female characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm guessing that's going to be a thing in the whole series. Yeah, like speaking of all oh, the buddy buddy relationship. Yeah, it's yeah, all dudes <laughs> again. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think that's. I remember reading somewhere that there is some like stronger female character. I, I don't know. I, I think I saw some posts on Reddit or something, but you know, complaining about the same thing, uh, and rightfully so. Like there's like, rightfully lack so. Of representation. Yeah, but totally. at the same time, like these could easily be a woman and a man or two women, and I think the story would still work and sometimes it's very clumsy to just gender swap um i like i know on the uh remembrance of earth's past podcast you're like chung sheen could be a woman or she could be a man i was like i don't know i feel like we'd have to do some rewrites in that way but in dune i mean very very mild dune spoiler ahead uh the planetologist liet kynes becomes a woman and that's fine (laughs) like it still serves the story and i think the same sort of casting could save this slightly dated show <laughs> slightly dated yeah, show and and that's why i i i really appreciated the characters that were changed to female in the show because it's not necessary for plot propulsion for them to be male or female it it, it is a bit jarring when you're reading a book and every single character is only a male character so I, I don't know. I appreciated it. And like, it felt, th- it made the show feel less jarring, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't think many of these characters, like, I can, I don't think any of these characters really could not be gender swapped, right? Like, there's no, I, I can't think of any of them that we've met so far that it would I kind of like the emperor matter. being male just because he's so like preening and effete. Yeah. I think it's funnier. <laughs> yeah. I agree. But yeah, uh, Cleon needs to be a male. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but like so yeah. for the most part, like I, I can't really think of. I mean, even if Selden was female, or I mean, obviously, he, Jared Harris is you know worth him, you know not doing gender swaps. But you know, I think any other character, any of the characters, I think you know, Cleon aside, maybe that uh, it could be. It, it wouldn't matter to me, right? There's nothing particularly male about any of them that 
they have to be super masculine. Maybe like the the luck couldn't couldn't be a female. Maybe it could be. You could have like a what's that girl from uh, Star Wars? Uh, the Ray Brienne. Wow. <laughs> I remember right. Brienne from Game of Thrones and the girl who's awesome Star. What was her name? Gwyneth. Gwen. This is so your wheelhouse, Dan. I'm not going to help I you know. out. I forgot her name. I don't. I know the characters' names. <laughs> I don't know the actors' Live names. Live theater folks. <laughs> anyway, Wait, is it Gwendolyn. So anyway. Be, yeah. Gwendolyn is Gwen, that? Yeah, her Gwen, name? is it Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah, 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 that's her. Something like that. Anyway, Brienne from uh, from Game of Thrones. I can see here as being uh, uh, Sergeant Luck. There. <laughs> another another topic. What I want to talk about is, is a kind of the another theme of this is like sort of like the the loss of knowledge that kind of happens throughout the um, the history here, right? And so another thing is like kind of on display here. And like, even in this past, like it was like a hundred years or not even a hundred years since uh, Mallow, right? Like the emperor already forgot about the foundation, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so the, the quote I pulled out said, the, the previous secretary raised a pair of supercilious eyebrows. He refers to them as the foundation. The foundation, what is it? There's no record of it, sire. So like, it's only been like a hundred or two hundred years or whatever since the foundation was started, and the emperor, people that came before him, set it up, and like it's already forgotten. So I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, it kind of goes back to um, the first book, right, where uh, we were kind of marveling at how they seem to have forgotten the history of like where humanity originated, um, yeah. and all of that, you know that history seems to have been lost. And of course, it, it kind of evokes that famous quote that those who don't remember history are doomed to repeat it. It's, it's kind of very troubling that they forget their own history. And this seems like it's happening not even that long after Foundation is formed. So yeah. for the emperor to not know about Foundation is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and also, um, I, in that same vein, I found it really interesting how Psychohistory and Harry Seldon, um, they're kind of reduced to fables and like thrillers that you tell children. So yeah, um, yeah. they're called magicians, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's just like the 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 language. Um, I mean, the running theme is that language has uh, returned to a state of like antiquity, and also like the the view of history seems to be following that same route in a sense. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's like something to do with the actual people or maybe just the the massive scale of the empire and the bureaucracy behind it like where things like the foundation could just get you know lost to history over just a couple hundred years but yeah like there's really like that realistic like we yeah. <laughs> people are so often saying like oh my gosh like 2020 is the most memorable year ever like no one's gonna ever forget it our grandkids are gonna be asking us like did we ever ask any of our grandparents about, hey, what was it like to live through polio? Like, that must have been <laughs> life-changing for the whole world. No, like, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to focus on myopic things that relate to you. I think it's very realistic. Yeah, especially, like, if people don't believe in psychohistory, you know, or they don't want to believe it uh, because of the lack of free will. Like, maybe it's just they... It turns into, yeah, the story that people tell you. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's this crazy guy a couple hundred years ago who said the whole empire is going to fall. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah, just in general, like we're seeing, like like we mentioned before, the the kind of path to victory <laughs> or, or not the path of victory, just like the path to the inevitability is just in action, right? We saw that with um, with Mallow and we saw that with Hardin. And 
yeah, so we're, and we see it here too. Um, so, but you guys had some more quotes, so I'll let you talk more about it. Yeah. So one of the quotes um, that I found interesting was where it says, Cleon is strong because he permits no strong subjects. It seems that in his case, this also foreshadows the empire's fall because like if you're kind of like an unbending type of person and you permit no one beneath you to be strong, like in this case, the example is that the general he's technically a subject is strong and thus he is reined in by Cleon himself, which ultimately leads foundation to win. And it's not a victory for, for empire. It's a, it may be like a personal sense of victory for Cleon, but that's false. So I think that that statement is sort of like not exactly true. It's kind of like the sort of statement that makes you want to question it. Is he really strong because he permits no strong subjects? So I think that and that also speaks to how the problem that we were seeing with the general, which is that like if he wasn't strong, he would be unsuccessful. And even if he is strong, he will be unsuccessful. So hmm. yeah, that was just an interesting quote that stood out to me. And then the other thing that stood out to me is I was reading a review on this story. And while I do agree that this one was far more compelling than the other ones that we had been reading so far, I found uh, that the reviewer, and um, I forgot to link it, but I'll, I'll share the link with Dan so he can share it, um, is uh, that, uh, I'll paraphrase, uh, Asimov has written himself into an unfortunate corner. It destroys any real conflict in future stories. The Foundation cannot lose no matter what. In earlier stories, we'd been shown that the Foundation would win if it had leaders like Hardin and Mallow who knew the right thing to do. Now we see that the Foundation will win even if its leaders don't know the right thing to do. And that lives leaves for a little source of tension in later stories. And I kind of agree with that point. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? So I'll say with no foreknowledge of what happens in the books, but what happened the last, the last like paragraph or so of this section talks about the second foundation. So we know, we don't know that the foundation is going to win. All we know is that the empire is going to fall. Right. And, uh, and soon, and and the the chaotic era or whatever they call it is going to last for a thousand a thousand years if the foundation can do anything about it right it seems like the foundation is going to it, it is in a position for power but like we don't know which foundation there's a second foundation on the other side of the galaxy so like maybe this main source of conflict is going to be between those two foundations because yeah like it would be anticlimactic to kind of know the ending and just kind of like just watch it happen you know like like if the whole seven books of this series was just like them just sitting around doing nothing and seeing history kind of unfold around them that wouldn't be super interesting right but it seems like the 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 conflict that's being set up is between possibly the the two foundations yeah that makes sense <laughs> yeah we don't know anything about the second foundation either right like we don't we, we know like the one that we're, we've been following is like more scientific, you know, we, in the first book we saw them as like kind of even ineffectual because like, they're just so stuck up on and try to interpret it. Um, the making the encyclopedia, you know, interpreting Stelton's, uh, uh, messages, that kind of thing. Maybe the second foundation is like totally militaristic and totally different. Who knows? Like it could be like totally, uh, different ph philosophically than, than the foundation we know of. Yeah, so it'll be interesting if our predictions, Dan and my predictions, since we don't know anything more about the foundation, turn out to mirror more of the Roman Empire, since it's 
you know, clearly a bit of an allegory for the fall of a big empire. And you're right, Dan, it's a lot easier to predict that something cumbersome and large with many vulnerabilities will fall than it is to predict what will take its place. Mm. And I know that when the Roman Empire did fall, they had something crazy like five monarchs in like two years and like two popes and just like a, a crazy power struggle. Yeah. Um, and I think that will, or I'm hoping that that is what happens, but I'm not sure if it will be between the two foundations or if we'll have rebel groups or, you know, maybe just more forces for chaos. But I think there's reason to have a little bit of faith for the rest of the books. That's yeah. interesting because um, I think who says this? Was it Devers or Barr who where they're talking about like if there's like there there's a war and there's a winner? Um, what if the winner does take over? Who's bothered? It settles itself out. Someone says that in in this section, and it's kind of like, again it's very funny. It does settle <laughs> itself out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember um, who says that, but yeah, I think it was in a conversation with Devers and Barr. One mm. of them said it, but I can't remember. so the last point i had was just kind of talking more about the yeah like kind of following up on this about the empire's inability to to succeed and like uh, we mentioned before i think priya when your original quotes was talking about like weak emperors and and strong emperors so the quote's kind of long but i thought it was like a really interesting experience like the analysis of like why the empire is is kind of doomed to fail and why it can't uh, has no inability or has no ability for conquest. So it says uh, we can see now that the social background of the empire makes wars of conquest impossible for it. Under weak emperors, it's torn apart by generals competing for a worthless and surely death-bringing throne. Under strong emperors, the empire is frozen into a paralytic rigor in which disintegration apparently ceases for the moment, but only at the sacrifice of all possible growth. The dead hand of Harry Seldon, he knew that a man like Rios would have to fall since it was a success that brought failure and the greater the success, the surer the failure. The, that part, like I thought was, and and I think if I remember right, the Rios and um, the Broderick uh, get executed. um, I think that was alluded to, which doesn't actually happen in history. Like Belisarius wasn't, wasn't actually executed, but there are stories about him um, that are maybe apocryphal that, you know, he got his eyes, plucked out and he had to like live his life as a beggar but i don't think that actually happened but yeah the anyway the the point here is that like because like these these forces are against each other and they can't because these four because em, strong emperors can't abide by strong generals and and the other and 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 the opposite there's no way the empire is going to be able to succeed long term i don't know that the foundation fixes that unless they completely change the paradigm of how uh, territory is gained and controlled and that kind of thing. So would that be interesting to see? Like, maybe that's how the story goes: that the empire does fall, the foundation does take over, and then it's like, well, how do you how do you rule it so you don't fall? Or did they just fall into the same trap? <laughs> and then they they you know, Zeldin's prediction says, oh, actually, like the foundation is also going to fall. I'm like, and in this many this many years. I think um, the way that the emperors have also been shown so far in in the in the series is like it just kind of reminds me of like kingdoms in like Game of Thrones where like it seems like everyone is kind of doomed to failure. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you see like they their their fatal flaws are very apparent and on the nose. 
they're just kind of painted as like very stereotypical. What you would expect expect of an emperor of an empire is what you get, right? Yeah. So it it seems like these characters are sort of like more symbolic than anything. And they're like they're less characters and more symbols of this overarching idea that like these types of individuals are doomed to failure. That's that's what the cynic in me sees anyway. <laughs> mm, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I understand that point of view. I was even looking. Wasn't there there was a quote somewhere saying how? Uh, oh, yeah. Here it is. Cleon the second, commonly called the Great, the last strong emperor of the first empire. He is important for political and artistic renaissance that took place during his long reign. He is best known to romance, however, for his connection with Belrios. And to the common man, he is simply Rios's emperor. It is important not to allow the events of the last year of his reign to overshadow the 40 years of dot, dot, dot. And that's from the Encyclopedia Galactica that the foundation was making. So it sounds like, you know, even before this, like he had 40 years of kind of prosperity and like he was like regarded as like a strong emperor. But he's also sort of seeing, and I think very similarly. Like, wait, 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 hang on. He didn't have 40 years of prosperity due to his own rule. He like inherited peace and never knew anything but it. True. Like daddy did all the work <laughs> and granddaddy before him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the third Qing emperor. I could go on. It's another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, def- yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because like it, when we meet him, he's like, yeah, all sickly and... And and we can see like even even after this like he's like kind of jealous of of Rios and you know suspicious of everybody you know maybe rightfully so um, yeah definitely <laughs> if he goes down in history as Rios's emperor yeah rightfully so but it's it, it's it's interesting to hear that they you know they call him the great and he's it, it says specifically like this is he was the last strong emperor of the first empire so it seems like mm-hmm. stuff's gonna go pretty bad pretty soon here and this is like the last year of his <laughs> reign right. So he's if this yeah. is the last year of the last emperor, like stuff's about to happen. <laughs> you know, that's you know maybe the 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 fall of the empire isn't as long and protracted as we expected, but it's going to be more swift, and there'd be some, you know, some uh, some catalyst to make that happen. I, I also wanted to talk a little about the TV show. So if you don't care about the TV show or don't want to have any spoilers for it, you can stop listening to the episode here. Uh, like last time <laughs> so thanks for listening um but we're gonna talk about the tv show um i have still not watched any of it mm-hmm. um i've read a bunch of stuff about it not a bunch of stuff but i've i've looked i've seen a bunch of posts on reddit about how people hate it <laughs> um but i know priya you said you liked it um so i do i, I kind of want to get an update from you about like and I, I don't know if it's over yet for this season or i don't know if it's still happening okay no uh the season finale was i think um a couple weeks ago and i liked it i thought at times it was less than perfect uh i mean the the show is not perfect by any means but like there were moments there were episodes that weren't as good as others and there are parts there are storylines that are not as good as others there's one particular storyline that keeps me gripped throughout and i can't say what it is (laughs) because it's a spoiler yeah i think that the the strong plot points are enough to keep you engaged in the show i feel um but of course i feel like my opinion on that is going to differ because my opinion on the books kind of differs from those who are huge fans of the books 
there's always going to be some of that where like, you know, if you're and it's because the, the show is very different from the books. So if you're expecting to go into the show and have a similar experience to the book, which is like a lot of it is characters just talking back and forth to each other about like strategy and politics. That's not really what the show is. So it's a very different experience. And um, if, if, you liked these particular elements of the book, just know that you're not going to necessarily get them in the show. The show does a lot more world building and it's a lot more, it, it creates like a thrill in the viewer about certain plot points. There's a lot more action. Like if that's your thing, then you'll probably really enjoy the show. I was looking at Talia's comment, um, which you can share because that brings me to my next point. What were you going to say about it, Talia? Yeah, definitely. So I was wondering if you had similar thoughts about Dune and Dune was called unfilmable and it's been like stalled in production hell for decades, um, partially because it's difficult to translate certain books to the screen. So that's another, um, yeah, actually just, yeah. What do you, how would you say it compares? So I'm glad you bring up Dune because I recently watched it and um, my brother-in-law, um, I was recommending that he watch it, but uh, the day that he went on HBO to watch it, that's, it was like one day before they had taken it off. So um, <laughs> just bad luck because he's, uh, he's visiting from Australia and in Australia it hasn't been released yet in theaters it's it's about to be like on december i think today actually um but anyway he was trying to watch it on hbo it wasn't there and then so he started reading the book um and that should not be your progression to a book i think that the fact that the movie wasn't available <laughs> but uh he had a long flight back to australia and he started to read the, he started listening to it on audiobook and he said that he, I think that's exactly the right way to t be introduced to Dune. <laughs> you got a solid like 12 hours ahead of you. Yeah, that that part is conducive, but I was like he he was texting me from his flight and he was like I am having I'm struggling with this and I was like I've heard a lot of people do struggle with it, so just start listening to Three Body Problem instead. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's, so, there's a podcast you can follow along with if uh, wants to get more content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, he, I, I was like, I was thinking about that, that uh, a lot of people say that and he had the same experience. I have not tried reading the book yet, but I have, I have been reading foundation. I find that foundation at uh. times loses me and causes me to tune out and the show doesn't. So I, think that the only way to translate certain things to film is to take a lot of artistic license. And I feel like a lot of times book readers do not like a lot of artistic license being taken. But I think it depends on the nature of the content that you're working with, like conversations and dialogue that make up foundation rarely makes for very compelling show viewing experience if that is all that there is to the show or most of the show. So I think that they have added in a lot of like theatrical elements and storylines and character plot points that I haven't seen in the in the book so far. And I think that is what makes it work. And I think also what they're doing seems to make sense here because I'm now that I've started reading the second book, I'm noticing certain elements 
um, cropping up that are in the show. So, and I can't say what those are, but um, it seems to me that they've borrowed bits and pieces from the different foundation books and kind of melded them together in, um, in the show. And as I read more of the books, it'll be interesting to see what they took and what they changed and where they took artistic license, I guess. Mm, that's, so that's, yeah that's interesting because I, yeah. I always like heard in the beginning like oh they're just doing the first book or the first couple chapters or whatever of the book so now you saying that makes me want to watch it even less until i'm finished reading the books because <laughs> i don't want to get accidentally spoiled by by something but it's it's interesting because like is it a spoiler if you don't know that it's a spoiler <laughs> true true because <laughs> i feel like i feel like they have done a lot with characters that we've seen in previous books that like characters that the books kind of like got rid of already. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I feel like that can't be coming from other books. So I, I don't know. I feel like whenever if, if I'm seeing spoilers, I don't know if there's spoilers for the books or not. So I don't feel spoiled in the end. I don't yeah. know. That makes I have sense. an example of that happening in the other direction, Priya, which comes to mind. And the hosts have all seen Dune by now, right? I haven't seen it. I was going to try to read. I was going to try to read the book before I watched it. Oh, you do? Okay. Well, you should read the book before. Um, I think it's much better. But I also like the movie just fine. I also just think that the movie is enhanced a lot by the book in a way that often having read the book frustrates the reader and you know mm. makes them see like when I try and watch Harry Potter it's like very painful I'm like this is not worth 10 minutes of my time much less the like no, 10 hours it would no, take no, to stop. watch the show stop <laughs> but in Dune I'm gonna contrary in the other way there <laughs> exactly but in Dune I really enjoyed watching the movie and I was like oh this is cinematic it's beautiful it's well cast, it's well executed, but it would be so flat without the book. Like there's so much characterization and explication and context that you can do and you can meander through 700 pages. Like, I'm sorry, but there's just space to do it. And if you see it on screen, it feels like I'm getting a return on the investment of having read it because I understand the import of mm -hmm. these beats of these characters, of their actions. Whereas if I didn't, it would just be like, oh, I guess plot A is over on to plot B. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely recommend reading it first. Yeah, I had the same experience with the Game of Thrones series. Hey, like, you've I, got a flight coming up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I first watched the, I watched the first season of Game of Thrones and I didn't really understand. I mean, I kind of understand what's happening, but like it's, there's so many characters and like you don't really understand their motivations. And so after the first season, I went back and like read the entire series before before the second season and it was so much better having done that because like you really understand like who the characters are what their history is what their motivations are so that's why yeah if there's something i i feel like i'm going to read and i, I do intend i i already have doing like ready to go it's just like a matter of time and you know uh, slotting mm -hmm. it into uh my my list here but like i that's why i i I'm not going to watch the the movie for Dune. I'm not going to watch the Foundation one because I yeah you know, I really like Foundation. I read and I, I think you know people like you spoke really highly of Dune, so I really want to read the book for so I can have that same experience. Cool. Well, we can keep you accountable since you've said it on the podcast. Now we can check with you <laughs> uh, throughout the rest of the season. I just said I will. But, I don't say when I will. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of the season, uh, thank you so much for listening. Check out rehydrate.space for released episodes, 
our reading list, and pronunciation guide. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us next episode for Season 6, Episode 5, The Mule, covering Part 2, Chapters 11 through 18 of Foundation and Empire by Isaac Asimov. Mm-hmm.